Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm honored to have as my guest today, Pastor George Westlake III. He is the pastor of Sheffield Family Life Center in Kansas City, Missouri. He's also my former youth pastor from way back in the day, and we'll get into that in a second. But Pastor George, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Steve, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be with you. Uh, Pastor George, there have been a lot of different thoughts about ministry and youth ministry and how that should get handled these days. Tell me a little bit about your kind of call into ministry and what some of the best parts of your youth ministry journey were. My call to ministry was kind of roundabout. God had to kind of circle the wagons with me. I really didn't want to go into ministry. I was a musician, a drummer, wanted to play drums. If I do anything for God, I will give him that. You know, I was selectively serving as as I still attempt to do uh, quite often, but selectively serving. And so I, you know, God, I'll do this, but I won't do that. Well, you know, he's he's smart enough to to lure me in, get me in that door. And then once I was in the house, he kind of made me change bedrooms. I ended up in the youth ministry bedroom. And so that's that was where my heart ended up going. And and it's wonderful how God takes his will. And our desires, and he ends up kind of fusing those things together. He did that for me, and I ended up uh, wanting to go into youth ministry, being incredibly passionate about youth ministry. And at that point, that became all I ever wanted to do. It's like, I, I want to be lifelong youth ministry. Certainly don't ever want to be a senior pastor, lead pastor, uh, executive pastor, none of that stuff. Just I'm going to stay here with youth ministry because that's that's where my heart is. So he, he got me there that way. I was in youth ministry 10 years, six of which was uh, in Naperville and at Calvary in Naperville and great years, probably the most fun years of my 35 years in ministry and loved it. Uh, God gave me incredible opportunities. I met amazing people, influences in my life, uh, just people to, uh, to speak into my life people to, to somehow be like in theory and philosophy and and then gave me great opportunities. You know, I had more opportunities in my time in youth ministry than I ever, ever deserved. And of course, I thought, well, it'll always be this way. Yeah, not, not necessarily the case because every season, as you know, I'm sure, Steve, every season you have to kind of forge a new a new entrance into that and, and create new space, new culture, new everything. Love the years of youth ministry. And I think I still have days where I think if I could go back and run a youth ministry and have a staff, and that's what I would do. If I could select anything, that's what I would do. But God really doesn't give me that option at this point. George, you talk about just having fun and how how much joy was laced in that season. Where did that come from? Like, what do you think it was it about that season of life that made ministry just so compelling and energizing? Well, I, I it was enjoyable. It was what it was what was in my heart. So that was naturally. Uh, a an enjoyable thing, a fun thing, a rewarding thing. I decided early on, I'm just going to be me. You know, not everybody liked me. Not everybody understood me. Uh, I'm sarcastic. You know, being extemporaneous is one of my favorite things in life. And not everybody appreciates that. Analytical people, not so much. I just decided, you know what? I'm going to be me. I'm going to let God use me as me. He called me. Somehow he must see something worthwhile in me. So 
I'm going to be me. And it worked for a while for whatever it's worth, like being on the receiving end of it. Like what I, I was in the youth group that was, was co-led by you and Darren back in the late eighties, right. early nineties. And there was, there really was this sense of just palpable excitement and energy. And I, I remember being, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old saying, wow, it, it is, it is possible to have a life that is committed to the scriptures. It's surrendered to Jesus. It's prompted and led by the spirit. And you don't have to be some stick in the mud that a lot of my, you know, maybe unchurched or lost friends, you know, equated with somebody who is faithful to the gospel. And I think that's a, that's a gift that, that didn't go unnoticed. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And part of the reason I ran from the call, Steve, was because, you know, I grew up in the, I'm a child of the seventies, you know, into the eighties, most of what I saw from a platform was something that I never saw myself being able to do. Hmm. You know, I can't be like that. I can't be that person. I can't do that. I can't present that way. I don't even want to be that person. A lot of what I saw, that's not me. That's not who God made me. And nor do I even want to be that. So I ran from that because I thought that's what I have to be. And then, you know, as, as I walked through it, uh, one, I've had, I call it, you know, two great realizations in Christ. One is that he actually loves me, which mm-hmm. took me decades to figure out that he actually loves me. And two is that he actually loves me for me. He mm-hmm. actually loves me. You know, he doesn't just, the, the, the word love is, is in all caps, but the word me is in all caps and maybe uh, highlighted hmm. because he actually loves me, knows me, called me, understands me and loves me anyway. That took even longer to realize than the fact that he loves me. But those two realizations have allowed me to be in ministry and stay in ministry, even though I don't fit too many of the, the molds. So George, you talk about that being like a decades long quest. Like what, what were some of the hurdles and barriers? Why, why is that a lesson that takes a lifetime to learn? Because I sin, Hmm. Uh, you know, I sin, I know me. I tell the congregation I serve now. I let them know. I tell them stories about me being very real and very non-spiritual because if they see me on the news, I want them to be able to say, he warned us, he told us. He told us he didn't hide that from us as you know, I, I still have horrible thoughts. You know, I still, I'm an older guy now. I've got about 45 seconds of fight in me, but I still want to get out of my car and, and, and roll with somebody sometimes. And it's like, I'm a preacher and, you know, and I, and, and I'll, I'll be at the counter in the store and somebody will do something really ridiculous. And, you know, I really want to tell them what they need to hear. I'm very human. I have sinful thoughts on every level. And so I just thought, uh, you know, God might've missed it with me. You know, he, there are a lot of people who I think are pretty sanctimonious and they sin once or twice a week. Man, I'm, I try to make it through a couple hours. And so um, without sinning in word, thought, or deed, and, you know, and I, I'm trying to be perfect. I, I am righteous. I understand righteousness now. I didn't then. Righteousness now, as Paul describes it, is being made right. So I can live and be righteous. I appreciate that. The holy part and the perfect part, I'm still working on. Yeah. I'd, so that's it, Steve. I, I know me. I know me, and I don't think I would call me. God did. And the more I look at myself in the in the mirror, spiritual mirror, metaphorical mirror, uh, I think, man, how could God use me? I understand why David was left out in the field with the sheep and goats while all the other brothers were brought in. I get that. 
because I feel like that's probably where I should be. George, you talk about in youth ministry, sometimes having more opportunities than you thought you deserved. What What is it about certain church environments that allow youth pastors to thrive and other ones that slowly choke the life out of them? I think there is a kind of a, a contrast there because as you know, you know, I have the utmost respect for the people I worked for and the people I worked with. I would sit down with any of them, wish I could buy them lunch today and just tell them how much I love them and what they meant to me and, and listen to them talk. You know, I, I wish I could have that opportunity with the people that I've served under the pastors and, and, you know, uh, executive pastors. I wish, I wish I could have that opportunity. I will never have that opportunity again, but you know, this, you know, I worked in a very, very structured, tough environment. It was very, very controlled which I needed, you know, in my life, because I'm more of a, if there aren't boundaries and I'm running out in the field. So I needed that. I didn't, I didn't know I needed it so much. I did need it in my life. Well, God put me there and I was in a place that had a lot of structure and very little, very little support outside of, you know, here's, here's your opportunity go do it. When you heard from the people you served under, when they called you or you went to meet with them or they came into your office, that usually meant you did something wrong. Okay. It was, it was a very structured place and, and loved it. I, I loved it. It was a great opportunity. All of them were, and it was right. But mine more came from, from what God was doing in me, what he gave me to use, and the relationships around me. Because uh, the relationships around me while I was doing youth ministry and even beyond, even to this day, the relationships around me uh, that are that were more peer relationships and ministry relationships probably gave me more impetus and more fuel to get down the road than than the place or the pattern I was actually serving. Yeah. No, that's so good. I George, do you remember like the summer of 1988? I don't know why this is like so vividly burned in my brain, but you guys rolled out like this discipleship initiative. It was really low key. It was pretty basic. It was called Summer Stretch. And there was like a little booklet and you guys use like Luke 252 as the framework for it. Do you remember that thing at all? I, I do. And I, and I think actually, I think Steve or Doyle actually came up with that. Okay. Uh, that was not my creation. I wish I could claim it as mine. Uh, and I'm not sure which one of them came up with that, created that. It might've been the two of them together. Probably not. It was probably one or the other. Yes. I do remember that. That was not my creation. Was that because something that's, that, I go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Was that something that ran every summer or was that something that just rolled out once? I think it just rolled out once because the next summer uh, things were moving differently. I think the next summer was when we started rolling. We did the club rad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, that which was, which the first one was an enormous success, uh, blew our minds really. And then following that would have been, you know, maybe October, November of 89, uh, Doyle left, which started changing the structure of the youth division. Okay. And so then things began to change and started to separate a little bit and politics started playing into things a little bit. And then Steve ended up leaving, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a year and a half, after that. Okay. Okay. So that was not mine. And I think it was a one-time thing as far as I know. 
Well, it I'll I'll give you credit for it anyway, and it was timed perfectly for me. I don't I don't know why. I think it was that for me it was the summer between my eighth grade and my freshman year, and I don't remember how you guys laid it out, but you just said like, "Hey, give this thing a spin." And for people who aren't familiar with it, it was just it was it could not have been any more simple. It was just you know based on Luke two fifty two, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And you the front of the little, this little booklet said set set goals physically, relationally, spiritually, and mentally over this year. And then there was like a day of the week across the top. And then these four boxes across the left. And I don't, maybe I'm just like really super compulsive or achievement driven. Maybe I was too legalistic, but I remember having a goal to be able to say like, Oh, well, what if I, what if I filled all my boxes this summer? And I just, I just dusted that thing off about a year ago and recreated it. And it has been so life-giving to me, George, just to be able to say, Hey, am I intentionally carving out space for me to engage scripture, for me to hear from God, uh, for me to try to do something active with my body, for me to try to read something or listen to a podcast that will stretch my mind and intentionally invest in relationships. And I think that I think I came out of a season that was so laced with legalism that the pendulum swung a little bit too wide in the opposite direction for me to be able to say like, I don't need all this structure and I need grace and I want it to be organic and spirit led. But the more I got back to that, that really simple resource. And the more I looked at some of Jesus practices, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with trying to, to hardwire some rhythms into our journey. And I remember that summer uh, that right before I turned 14 being the, one of the more catalytic moments in my spiritual journey that just, just a very simple resource that said like, Hey, if our, if our character or our spiritual formation really is the sum of our habits, our habits matter. Does that, does that make any sense? Yes. I, I love all of that. And the crazy thing is those are the kind of things that God has been speaking to me again. And you say you recreated that. I would love to have, have a copy. If, okay. if you could email me that I'd love to have it because you know, that's, that's what I've been trying to do with, with the people that I have any influence over, whether it be the people I serve in Kansas City or, or other opportunities, just that basic, create some space, create some time, create an opportunity for God to do what he wants to do in your life, create the, uh, the resonance for his voice. I think it's very simple because you and I, probably came out of a lot of the same kind of culture was you know, my whole early ministry was, was rebellion against legalism, you know? Mm, and, yeah. and, and so every day it was like, how can I, without saying it, how can I break this paradigm and still not get kicked out to an extent, you know, I still have that as a permeating force, I think, but I'm not as blatant about it. And I'm not, uh, I'm probably not as rebellious about it as I was. Maybe I just do it with a little more savvy. I don't know. I hear you. I'm connecting with that. And and truly, recently, Steve, God's been saying to me again this year in 2023, God's been saying to me again, that phrase, create space, hmm. create space. Me personally, me in service, me places I go, whatever influence I have, wherever that may be, don't just give me space or allow me space, create space. It's so good, George. I remember having a mentor tell me when I first started full-time ministry, he said, Steve, the church will never say no for you. 
And I realized that not only is that true of church, it's just true of life. Like culture will never say no for you. Like that space is not, is not given like the world. Like right. uh, if, if you just leave a void, Netflix will spill the space, email will fill the space, social media will fill the space like that. That gap is easily fillable with things that aren't necessarily wrong, but things that ultimately are, are just are just noise or spiritual chatter. And un unless we like really carve out those chunks in our brain or in our calendar, they they will not magically appear. You're right. You're exactly right. And it, it takes a while to learn that process that and function out of that. Yeah. No, that's so good. George, how did your view of how teenagers are formed spiritually, how did that change once you had uh, kids who are reaching adolescence of your own? Because I remember like when I was a youth pastor, I knew I was an expert on kids. And then I had kids and I was like, oh, dear Lord, I repent. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I, I actually believe for me and I think for probably most of us who are allowing this to be a, a teacher, for me, having children was the greatest um, intensive in regard to learning God. Yeah. Is um, because then you you understand love and grace and forgiveness and correction on a totally different level. And and you know, and that changes as the as your children get older and then when they get into those adolescent years, um, then obviously the uh, the obstacles change, uh, the consequences change, decisions are become more important and more long term. And I really feel like I learned a lot about God and how he loves me. And, and it probably wasn't until my kids were teenagers that I really got that first question, you know, does God really love me? That I really got to the answer to the, to the, to the place where the answer, where I was comfortable with the answer. And it probably had a lot to do, and I've never put these two together in this same box, but it probably had a lot to do with me raising children, them getting older, and understanding that, yes, I can discipline my children, and they've done wrong, they did wrong, and, and there are going to be some consequences here, but my love for them, if anything, has grown through this, hmm. and I remember having conversations. I have two boys and a girl. Uh, the, the girl is the youngest. I remember having conversations with my sons when they were teenagers and, and I tried to maintain, they say, you can't be friends with your kids and you can't be your kid's best friend. And that doesn't work. Well, you know, it, uh, it kind of worked for me um, yeah. because I felt like my kids were my best friends. You know, my wife, my kids, other than my wife, my kids were my best friends in the world. And, and we still were able to discipline. We're still able to learn uh, they're all serving God today. Human mistakes, sins, every one of them have taken a different path, but they're all serving God today. And we are still best friends. So, you know, I don't necessarily go along with some of those axioms like that, but my children taught me a lot about the love of God and the, the grace of God and a lot about how I respond to that because a lot of how my children responded to me is the way I responded to God, you know, throughout my life. And when he's correcting me or disciplining me or telling me no, or telling me, wait, and I don't want to hear that. Very similar. George, the parents who might be listening today who have kids who are 12, 13, 17, and there's just like kind of, there's this catch in their throat. They're just, they're just terrified that maybe their kids aren't 
thinking the way that they want them to think about God or about scripture or about church or about sexuality. And there's just, there's this temptation to panic and white knuckle and kind of, kind of tie kids down and force them into a corner where they can't misbehave. What, what do you say to parents who are just walking that razor's edge of, I know I need to hold my kids with open hands, um, let them develop their own faith, let them refine their own values, let them suffer their own consequences. And then on the other hand, saying like, man, I just, I don't, I don't want them to screw up and I don't want them to wander outside of the fold or maybe in the worst case scenario, like I don't want to make our family look bad. Good question. And very pertinent. I will try to give you a structured answer. One, I believe in our, in our developing years, between the ages of 13 and 30, uh, we at some point are going to make the choices we want to make. Hmm. You know, in the in the confines of, of that time period in our life, we're going to make the choices we want to make. Uh, right, wrong, indifferent. If we are not allowed to make those between 13 and 18, we'll make them when we're 20. And the stakes uh, we'll are higher then. They are. We'll make them when we're 20. We'll make them when we're 25. We'll make them when we're 30. And I've, and I think a lot of times for guys, especially until we're 30, 35, it seems like most of us don't even really have a clue what's going on. And me included, you know, we think we do, but then we realize, oh man, I didn't have a clue. Ladies seem to get it a little earlier than we do for some reason. They seem to latch on to the reality of life and some things, but uh, you know, we just want to, we just want to go. We want to blow and go. We're going to make those choices. So I would rather, I, I would tell my, tell my kids um, and show them, you know, telling them is one thing showing they made a bad decision that had consequences. I didn't lose my mind. We walked together through it. You know, I remember one time I got a call to uh, a middle to the middle school that one of my children were going to. And they said, we need you to come up here. That's never good. So I get there. They pull out this picture. They say, this is your child uh, in this picture. If you want to take a look, one of my children was flipping the camera off as they took the picture. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor in this community. Some people know that, some people don't. I didn't get real hung up on my image. You know, I try to make when my children messed up to this day, when they do things I don't agree with, which still happens, I try not to make it about me. Hmm. This is not about me. This is not about my image. If I make it about me, then I get defensive. I get territorial. I get mean. I get petty. Uh, so I try not to make it about, well, this is going to, you know, this is what's going to, this is going to hurt my reputation. This is going to make people think me or this family or this household. You know what? Forget that. Right. It's not about, it's not about me. And, and I don't need to make it about me. I need to walk through it with them. So I've done that. You know, I had a conversation. It was, it was one of my sons. They told me, yeah, this is how that happened. It was really just one of those weird moments that got caught on camera and it was a dare and this and that. And, and, and the thing I know, Steve, is anything my children did or have done or still do, I did worse. Yeah, I was worse than all of my children. So I can only get so frustrated with them. So allow them some freedom. Don't overreact. If somebody gets pregnant out of wedlock, you can get through that. Don't overreact. It's a big deal. And somebody's going to live with that for a long time, the rest of their life, probably. But you can get through it and, and things can still be right. So don't overreact. A number three would be 
the seeds you planted in them are going to harvest at some point. Mm. They're going to come to harvest. I fully believe that the seeds we plant, the spiritual seeds especially, we plant in our children at some point are going to grow and be harvestable. They are. Uh, sometimes it takes 10 years. Sometimes it takes 30 years. One of my family members uh, who is no longer with us, it took, this, it took his entire life of watering seed, hoping, praying, trying to do the right thing, trying to be consistent. On his deathbed, he chose to accept the truth of Jesus Christ, and I didn't think he would even at that point. Wow. He did, but it took a lifetime of prayer, planting, and watering to get to that. I believe God can do in a few seconds, and even in our subconscious from spirit to spirit, when maybe the body is not even showing signs of life. I still believe, I believe there are going to be a lot of surprises in heaven. Yeah. There are going to be a lot of people there that God redeemed at some point and we just didn't see it and we didn't know it. But so long story made just a little bit shorter. I believe it's the truth grows, that seed prospers and, and it will come to pass. I tell parents, I pray with parents and grandparents and believe fully that at some point, at some point, the truth of this is going to take hold and, and there's going to be a difference. George, I love what you're saying because what it really does is it reminds us to play the long game as parents and, uh, or, yes. and to take the long view. And I think that some of us are like, Oh, there's this mad dash until uh, our kids turn 18 and we have got to cram all of our parenting knowledge until when they leave the house. And the truth is I'm 48 and my mom is still my mom. Like she does, she right. never stopped being my mom. And I still, you know, I don't, I don't need the same things that I need from her that I needed when I was four, but she's still nurturing me and still leading me and still challenging me in, in very unique and powerful ways. We, we never stop parenting our kids, no matter how old we get or they get. Yeah, that's, that's great. And that is true and needs to be said as I have probably with my children, I have probably had more in-depth spiritual conversations that create inertia with them than I ever did when they were teenagers. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there's, it doesn't have to happen in 18 years. Uh, one of my children uh, went through a season between I'll say, you know, 15, 16, 17 and 25 or 26 where I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I didn't, mm -hmm. there were several, there were several roads, didn't know which one. I, I love you, whichever road you take as you don't have to be like me. You don't have to think like me. I want you to love and fear and respect God. And I want you to have relationship with God, but I believe God is capable of cultivating that in ways that I can't we're on his clock. It comes around. If you, if you allow God, if we allow God to do what he does in people's lives by his process the results are usually a lot more lucrative. George, I'm sure there were some, some, some rough patches and some sleepless nights along the way. How did, how did God prove himself faithful to you in that eight to 10 years where you just, you didn't know where things were going to land? Just, uh, it was, it was a still small voice hmm. to be real honest with you. It was a still small voice because, you know, one of my sons uh, is a, is more of a maverick. You know, he's been all over the world. And he just, he just go, you know, he just go 
he'll go by himself. He'll meet people there. He'll go to other countries. He'll go to other parts of the country. He'll walk through the worst part of our biggest cities alone, get off a train, walk somewhere. And, and so there were a lot of nights in prayer. There was one night he was in a country that he was not supposed to be able to enter into easily. And he got on a train or something and got into this country. And he said, if you don't hear from me for a few weeks, I'm probably imprisoned. And so I'm, I'm, I'm locked up, you know, but uh, so, yeah, that'll make you pray. One of my sons is that guy kept us praying a lot. And it's just that still small voice, Steve, whether it's that or whether it's, you know, one of my other children that's not so visibly maverick, but really, you know, pursuing the truth of God in a, in a much smaller circle and, you know, and trying to find God and his purpose and his reality and relationships and uh, you know, all of that. But through all of that stuff, you know, with, with the different children, even with myself and our journey, this still small voice just kind of says, I'm here. I'm here. I've got this. I haven't abandoned them. There are a lot of nights because I used to walk around my house when my kids were little. I used to walk around the house and pray, you know, when they were asleep and I pray over them and pray in their rooms. And they never knew I did that until they were much, much older. But hmm. I'd walk around and pray over them. And, and I did that night after night after night after night. And then years later, my prayers have changed a little bit. And I was praying for covering for real and leadership, you know, lead them for real. And this is them. It's not me, you know, leading them. And, and God would just come back and, and give me that, you know, it's, I'm still here. I've got them. And for a lot of nights, I just had to say, okay, God, he's yours. She's yours. I trust in this. I trust in you. And if, if things are wrong, I pray specifics, you know, keep them away from danger, keep people away from them, keep harm away from them, keep them alive, uh, you know, keep them uh, pure in heart. Um, you know, keep them away from the people who are going to bring the most destruction into their lives and keep them away from, from the things that are going to be so habit forming that it takes a lifetime to, to get out of the grips of that. And I, I pray a lot of specifics for my kids and, uh, and God is just quietly there, quietly there. George, it's so good to hear you say that. I, I've been reading through the book of Ezra lately, and there's this one phrase that keeps popping up in the book, and it's when Ezra says, and the gracious hand of the Lord was upon me. And I think that sometimes we've, I know, I know I can be tempted to fall into like this workspace parenting that like God only shows favor. If like my kids have memorized all of the you know laws right. in the book of Leviticus, or we got perfect Sunday school records or this, that, or the other thing, like God only honors uh, families who check all these boxes and we can't check all the boxes. And some of those boxes are made up man made up boxes anyway. And so for me, the great gift, even as I hear you talk is to say like, what would happen if we rolled out of bed every day saying like, Oh, the gracious hand of the Lord is on me and, and is on our family. And because of that, we can, we can take courage. It uh, doesn't mean that every day will be easy, but it means that we don't have to be frantic or panic driven or anxiety paralyzed in the middle of those days. Cause God loves our kids more than we do. And if he's, if he's for them and we believe that he's for them, then we can walk through our lives with like open hands and, and a hopeful smile rather than like clenched fists and a furrowed brow. Right. And being fear driven, and stress-driven is, is a life that none of us want. You know, and we end up in that situation. But I like your line, you know, God loves our kids more than we do. He does. He does. And we pray, you know, keep them safe, keep them alive, keep them, uh, you know, focused on you. 
he cares more about all of that than we do. And he's always, he's always giving that breath to them. And so, yeah, I think, I think a lot of times we, we try to, you know, cast our cares on maybe our other shoulder rather than casting them on, on him. That's a good word, George. Uh, tell people just briefly about your ministry, uh, what you're doing and how they can support it. You know, th- these terms have been overused greatly. So I hesitate to even throw them out there, but we're a, a multiracial, multi-generational church in the heart of Kansas City. Um, I've, I've been lead pastor there for 16 and a half years. I was there for four years as a, an executive pastor prior to that. And uh, God has blessed our church is, is kind of a salvation station and a place that we gather people. We lead people to Jesus. And my moniker is kind of just giving people real Jesus in a real way. And so I'm, I'm big on, uh, on dealing with reality and the practicals of reality, you know, relevance kind of sidecars with that. Support our websites, SFLC, SFLC, Sam Frank, Larry, Charlie.net. Support is just uh, pray that God will do something great in the heart of Kansas City. Uh, if our church could be part of that, that would be great. I just want to see people, all people, come to the realization of who Jesus really is and what he really is. The church has so misrepresented at times the real Jesus, the real follower of Christ. I'm, I'm bent on, on trying to, uh, trying to give people the real Jesus in a real way. Well, it's good work. It's important work. It's life-giving work. And I'm really grateful that God has tapped you to do it. Pastor George, thanks so much for your time today. I look forward to continuing the conversation at a future date. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.